0: Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Autism Stories. I'm your host Doug Bletcher, the founder of Autism Personal Coach. Autistic people are the true experts of the autistic experience and Autism Stories is where we interview autistic people to learn from their stories, experiences, and get their advice. If you would like to be notified about each week's episode of Autism Stories, we suggest you subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform. We would also appreciate it if you could give us a positive rating and review as it will help others to learn about autism stories. We still probably have a long way to go until we truly learn all the ramifications of COVID on our world. One area that I'm obviously particularly interested in is the effects that COVID will have on the disability community. On this episode of Autism Stories, I talk with attorney Michael Gilberg about this as well as his experience as an attorney and what he sees the future for autistic and neurodivergent attorneys. We hope you enjoy today's conversation. Michael, thanks so much for joining me today.
1: Thank you, Doug. I'm glad to be here.
0: I wanted to start out like I do in all these episodes and learn where does your story in the autistic community begin?
1: Yeah, That's interesting. Where does it actually begin? Or where does my, I guess, recognition of it? I mean, as with most people, I've been on the spectrum all my life, but I wasn't diagnosed until I was 18. And so that's really when I think I first became aware of autism as somebody like myself, and not just somebody nonverbal sitting in the corner, was in a more restrictive environment. But once I turned 18, I got the diagnosis. And then after a number of years, like most people that age, of denying it. It came, I would say, in my late 20s, I started to accept who I was.
0: Now, recently, uh, here on Autism Stories, a few episodes or so back, I spoke with uh, Haley Moss and AJ Link about their experiences as neurodivergent law students and the challenges that presented for them. So I'm just interested, what was your experience in, in getting your law degree?
1: Well, it's funny you say that. Haley's a friend. I haven't spoken to her in a while, and we need to catch up, and she's wonderful. And even though I'm older than her, I admire her greatly, and I've spoken to AJ a couple of times. I think my experience is a little different because I went to law school. I graduated law school 14 years ago, so a little before. People like Kelly and AJ, they were a bit younger than me. I think my experience was I actually found law school more challenging than college, but better than growing up going to school because I could be self-directed, but after being college became very easy to me and working pretty easily through college law school actually made me work harder.
0: So Michael, I, I mentioned Haley and AJ, uh, two fellow autistic law graduates. I um, mean, I know you mentioned Haley was a friend and you've talked to AJ as well. I'm just wondering about the, you know, autistic law graduates and that community. Can you, you know, talk a little bit about that?
1: Sure. Well, I've been very involved for a number of years in the whole disabled lawyers movement and trying to have more attorneys with disabilities. We had a national organization, which we started at one point, but due to the many reasons, it went dormant. And unlike other affinity groups, bar associations based on race, gender, sexual orientation, having one based on disability has been a huge challenge for years. And then there are affinity bar groups for certain disabilities, but not disability-wide. So the blind lawyers have had their own group forever. There's a pretty successful deaf lawyers group, but not an autistic lawyers group. And I've talked about how we need an autistic bar association, but we also need a larger umbrella group for attorneys with disability. And so those are two initiatives I've been trying to see how we get them going in between my limited time that I already have so it's hard because no organization survives with one or two people ultimately you need more people and the biggest obstacle i find is time those of us on the spectrum are already pressed for time so we're trying get these things to exist but the problem is the time crunch and you have people like aj started the disabled law student group which is great and amazing there used to be one about 10 years ago that went dormant and so the group aj started has taken that place The problem is that as a law student, you're only a law student for three, maybe four years at most, whereas you could be a lawyer for 50 or 60. And so the law student group only bridges you so far. Once you're in the field, there's a point where going to a law student group, you're too old or too far along, whereas a lawyer group will sustain you for the rest of your life, your working life. The goal is to get people to do that.
0: And, you know, you mentioned you're a little bit older than Haley and AJ. You know, in your time as an attorney, do you, do you see, has there is there progress being made in terms of the support for neurodivergent attorneys?
1: Well, I think there has been. And there's a lot of attorneys who, as you said before, I'm pretty sure are neurodivergent and would never die where it's, they hit it or they didn't know because it wasn't societally acceptable. So now it's more acceptable. And I think somebody like Haley in particular, with the notoriety she's obtained, has really changed the perception on that. I mean, I hate to make it about one person, but Haley really has been a game changer because she's become a national star in this field.
0: There are many autistic or neurodivergent attorneys out there that I would think are not open about being autistic or neurodivergent. What went into your decision to openly disclose that you're autistic?
1: Well, I do special education law, so it kind of is a natural fit. I mean, I'm doing this because of my own experience, so it would be very strange for me not to be open about my, my being on the spectrum, given that I am you know, working in this field. But also, I think it's just a matter of accepting who you are and You know, using the story, as I always say very often, I have people say to me, you give me hope that my child will have a future, that there's something beyond this.
0: What went into you choosing to specifically go into special education law? I think because growing up, I didn't get the education I should have, and I wanted to help other children avoid the
1: same thing.
0: Now, you advocate uh, with schools on behalf of disabled students and their families to get free, appropriate education. I'm sure what you think is appropriate can be different than what the school districts uh, believe is appropriate. What are some factors you think that should be considered when thinking about what is truly appropriate education for each student that you're representing?
1: Well, it's very individualized because the truth is, you know, the, the key word of the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, the IDEA, which is the law that governs special education is individual. It really is unique to the individual child. But one big thing is, and especially for children on the spectrum, it's not always academic needs. It's sometimes social, emotional needs.
0: Mm-hmm. Is it the social emotional needs that the schools are often neglecting? What are, are, you know, obviously each situation is a little bit different, but what's kind of been your experience of that?
1: Schools very often miss the social emotional piece, something they don't really think of. And it varies from school district to school district. It's hard to put a universal out
0: there because every district is different. Yeah. I hate to be
1: so vague, but it really is so individualized.
0: Yeah. Now, when disabled students are struggling in their in their district, there are often times when families might question um, themselves in terms of if they should hire an, inter- an attorney like yourself to help advocate for their child's needs. What would be some circumstances where maybe families should seriously consider calling Michael up? Well,
1: the most common cases are they want a private placement, and they want the school district to pay for an out-of-district placement. They've already made a private placement and want the school district to reimburse them. Their child is not getting proper services or identified for services and should be. And the school saying, "Oh, his disabilities not actually affecting him in school," and it is.
0: Now you've had your own legal practice since two thousand and fifteen, so we're coming up close to about seven years now. Um, how's their been a change in terms of what you've seen in terms of disabled students getting free, appropriate public public education in the least restrictive environment during that time period?
1: Well, prior to COVID, what a lot of what I've seen was schools tightening their belts, being less inclined to pay for out-of-district placements, even if those would be more appropriate for the student because of money. COVID has been a real game-changer because so many kids are on remote instruction. And we still don't know what the effects of that are going to fully be. A lot of kids have seen their social skills and their interactions, obviously, with peers decline during the period of remote instruction. So it remains to be seen, but I suspect we're going to need a lot of compensatory services for a lot of kids, particularly in the social domain, and particularly for some of the most challenged children.
0: Uh, are schools fighting uh, putting up less of a fight in terms of paying for those out of you know maybe that those out of school placements or services that they may With not be COVID, providing?
1: I think it's to be determined, I think because we're not fully out of the pandemic yet and schools are still figuring things out. I think this fall is going to be a very interesting fall that's going to be very telling for the special ed community about what happens.
0: Now, you started your own legal practice in 2015. I'm always interested in um, entrepreneurship, being an entrepreneur myself. What made you dis- decide to open up your own practice as, you know, I- I- down that path?
1: Well, I worked for another attorney, but eventually I knew that the option was to go out on my own because that's the most special ed attorneys do. And ultimately, what I realized was there were things I wanted to do that were better suited to being on my own. And, you know, I'm one of those people who's best off working for self, being my own boss.
0: And, and why do you feel like you're best being your own boss?
1: Because sometimes I'm not the easiest person to work with. I want to do things my way. And so if, my mother always said when I was a child, I'd need to work for myself. <laughs> I found my niche.
0: So you you listened to your mom? Yes. <laughs> You know, I've had a lot of challenges um, in these eight-plus years as an entrepreneur. Finally, you know, you move moving in the right direction, certainly, but there's, there's always challenges along the way. What have been some challenges for you?
1: I think the biggest challenges have been, you know, getting clients. Sometimes clients don't want to pay money, but, you know, I charge less than other attorneys because of my own life experience. But I think, you know, people always get a little nervous when they hear that it could cost them thousands of dollars and even at my lower rates it still costs a decent amount of money to do to do some of these things i have clients who have still had to go to hearings and that still will cost you fifteen, twenty thousand dollars to go to the hearing and win against the school district and if you win you get the fees back which is great but if you lose you're out all that money so i think money is a challenge i think that one of the other challenges is sometimes you know getting marketing out there but i've gotten better at that And I think sometimes the other challenge is it's lonely, but I have a great network of colleagues I can turn to. I'm on the board of COPA, which is the National Professional Organization of Parent Attorneys and Advocates who represent families. So I have a great network out there.
0: Do you have advice for other neurodivergent attorneys that are thinking that maybe they should start their own practice?
1: I think it depends on the person. I think it also depends on the field of law. The field I do, special education lends itself very well to a solo practice or being working for yourself. Whereas if you are like doing corporate law, it's probably not going to be feasible to work for yourself like that. I've heard real estate law is very hard for you to do as a solo practitioner. I have a friend who did that. So I think it really comes down in many cases to the field of law you're working in.
0: And then, if our listeners wanted to learn more about you or to contact you regarding your services, how can they go about doing so?
1: You can go to my website, which is michaelgilbertesq.com. Again, that's M I C H A P L G I L E R G E S Q at dot com. Sorry, I'm losing.
0: And that's really the best way for them to find more information. Go to my website, read my story, read
1: about some of my work.
0: Well, Michael, I really appreciate your time. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you, Doug. I appreciate it. Thanks so much to Michael for the conversation. To learn more about Michael, check out the link in the podcast description of this episode. Autistic people are pretty much in any career field that you can find, and a big part of the employment process is just finding the right fit for you. Autism Personal Coach is here to help with that, so book a free call with me today to learn how we can help. A link to book a call with me can be found in the podcast description of this episode. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Autism Stories, and if you did, if you could tell a friend, foe, or anyone you know about it so they could have the same enjoyable experience as you when listening to Autism Stories, it would very much be appreciated. On next week's episode of Autism Stories, we will discuss the intersection of autism and modeling. Until next time, I'm Doug Bletcher of Autism Personal Coach. Talk to you then.